DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation, or the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain, the Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. You know, as we continue in this letter, which has been labeled Letter 214, is it possible for Christians today who are seeking to have that type of union that St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is showing us, that for them, they feel they can only receive it if they feel good about what's happening? I don't mean to trivialize it, but that experience of what might be called the warm fuzzies. You know, I felt so good. I felt so anointed. It felt so uplifting. And that if it doesn't have that aspect to it, whether it's in a worship service or it's in praying a devotion or whatever that is, we go away from that. Here Elizabeth is talking about interceding for someone, and she is doing that through encounters with meditations on the passion, on the stations of the cross, those types of things that don't necessarily elicit something that should be all warm and fuzzy inside. Am I making sense? Yes, you are. And the question itself is an interesting question because it presumes something, and it presumes that when we go to pray, the ordinary thing that happens for most people or seems to happen for a lot of people is that God consoles them. And it's true, our God is a comforter. He consoles. In the Eastern Church, they call the Holy Spirit the comforter and because he does provide us comfort. What can happen is we get so used to the consoling, the comforting presence of God, and his presence is comforting it. It gives a sense of security. It gives a sense that I can trust in him. I can be confident in him in my life. If anyone doesn't have that sense right now, has never had that sense, who's listening to our conversation, I encourage them right now to ask the Lord to manifest himself to them. Ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit in their heart to be renewed. Ask for God to uh, speak to them in their afflictions, whatever those difficult circumstances are in their life. And if you ask with faith and perseverance, the Lord will come infallibly. That prayer, asking the Lord to come to be your Savior, to rescue you from the dire circumstances of life, whatever they might be, that prayer is always heard by God, and he never abandons you. But all this being said, it's also true that though the Lord always comes, whenever we ask him with faith and perseverance. It's also true that he comes not all the time in the same way. In fact, he never comes the same way twice. 
sometimes the comfort that he has for us, the consolation he wants to bring us, is a new kind of consolation that is difficult to recognize as consolation at first. Sometimes it's so different than what we expect, we don't think that he's come at all. And here's where we get into your your question. Sometimes we get so used to him coming in ways that are comfortable for us, we miss the kinds of consolations or comfort he wants to provide in his way at his time in and through us. And at a certain stage in the spiritual life, he not only wants to comfort us, but he also wants to use our lives, open up our hearts so that we can comfort other people. In order to do that, we need to avail ourselves, make ourselves vulnerable, be ready to receive him even in our suffering. In fact, he wants to take our suffering and use it to do something very beautiful in the church and in the world. And he's waiting on our trust and on our confidence. And in the church, the time of Elizabeth of the Trinity, the church called this, preachers and so forth called this, kind of coming to God of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Referred to it as a love for suffering. And the love for suffering that they're speaking of is never a suffering for suffering's sake. The kind of suffering they're speaking of is, is a union with Christ in which Christ's salvific mystery is made present again in our lives and made present even in those difficult and painful circumstances of our life. I unite myself to you in the emotions and profound joys of your soul as you await ordination, and I beg you to let me share in this grace with you. Each morning, I am reciting the hour of tears for you, so the spirit of love and light may come upon you to bring about all his creative work in you. If you would like, when you recite the divine office, we could unite in the same prayer during this hour that I have a particular devotion to. We will breathe in love and draw it down on our souls and on the whole church. You tell me to pray that you may be granted humility and the spirit of sacrifice. In the evening, while making the way of the cross before Matins, at every outpouring of the precious blood, I used to ask for this grace for my own soul. From now on, it will also be for yours. Don't you believe that? To achieve the annihilation, contempt of self, and love of suffering that were deep in the soul of the saints, we must gaze for a very long time on the God crucified by love, to receive an outflowing of his power through continual contact with him. Père Valet once said to us that martyrdom was the response of any lofty soul to the crucified. It seems to me that this could also be said for immolation. So let us be sacrificial souls, which is to say, true to our love. He loved me. He gave himself up for me. Adieu, Monsieur l'Abbé. 
Let us live by love, by adoration, by self-forgetfulness, in holy, joyful, and confident peace. For we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Sister M. Elizabeth of the Trinity, RCI On the 8th, we are going to give our Immaculate Mother and Queen a beautiful feast in our souls. I will meet you under her virginal mantle. So, Anthony, when she is talking in this particular letter, she is responding to a request that was made for prayer to be granted humility and the spirit of sacrifice. And it's interesting that she would, in that prayer, unite that, those two aspects of humility and the spirit of sacrifice with the passion of Christ. It is interesting, but that's precisely what makes the passion of Christ so powerful. It's the humility of God that is manifest there. And in his humility, he chose, freely chose to suffer what we suffer and to be with us in our suffering. Humility, the word comes from earth or the ground. Biblically, men and women, God made us out of mud. The Lord Jesus chose to enter into our humanity so deeply, so profoundly, he embraced kind of the dirt of our lives, the suffering, the difficulty, the hard stuff that, that's part of what it means to be a man, to be a woman in, in the world today. And he didn't shun that. He didn't despise it. He didn't look down on it. He embraced it out of love. That's the kind of humility that he has. So that when we say that uh, Jesus Christ is uh, fully God and fully man, we mean we mean that as fully God, uh, he didn't lose anything of who he was when he entered into our world. But when we say fully man, precisely because he truly entered into our world, there was no part of our existence except for sin that he didn't know and he didn't embrace and he didn't make his own. And this is true especially of suffering and death. He made our death part of his own experience and in doing that, he sanctified it and he made it holy. If we believe in Jesus Christ, he will make our suffering and our death holy too. He wants to do that. He wants to fill our death and our suffering with his humility and with his love. And when that happens, it transforms those experiences. Um, it allows God to do something beautiful in those experiences that otherwise could never be done in the world. God um, cares about our suffering. He cares about our death. And he wants to do something beautiful with those things, those very difficult things. But he can only do that if we will trust in him. Elizabeth is teaching her friend in this letter, this young seminarian, this pathway of a deep and profound trust in God. And, and what they call it, they call it, a love of suffering. The seminarian is asked, how can I grow in a love of suffering? His question behind all of that is this kind of whole mystery that I'm, I'm speaking of. We need to understand it like that because there are a lot of false ways of understanding it that are quite destructive. 
It's never suffering for suffering's sake. She actually clarifies that in another letter. Uh, it's suffering out of union with Jesus so that his saving mystery might be extended in space and time in the world today. It's really compelling that she refers to the precious blood in particular. Again, for us today, many of us, we, we don't have that sense of truly how precious the blood of Christ pouring out of that cross is and how so many saints throughout history, I mean, that is a, a tremendous d- devotion to the precious blood of Christ. Yes, the blood of Jesus. Biblically, blood is a symbol of life. When a sacrifice is offered, the blood is separated from the body of the sacrifice and offered it to God because that's the life of the victim. Jesus's blood was poured out for us, was offered to the Father from the cross. His life was offered for our sake on the cross. In that sense, he ransomed or redeemed us. And so the the blood of Jesus is what has rescued us from our sin. And that's why it is so precious. And in rescuing us from our sin, this blood of Jesus doesn't always take all the consequences. The eternal consequences are taken away, but not all the time the earthly consequences. And yet, if we bring our sin into confession, the power of his blood is so great that even those earthly consequences of our sin can also be transformed and used for his glory. So that sin, rather than being the last word between us and God, sin is transformed by Jesus, by his blood, into a new way of being united with the Lord a new way of being united with God himself in a saving mystery. And so that's this devotion to the blood of Jesus. It's a very rich and beautiful thing in our Christian faith. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs. Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer for the Holy Souls in Purgatory by St. Gertrude the Great. Eternal Father, I offer you the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus. In union with the Masses said throughout the world today, for all the souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, for those in my home and in my family. Amen. 
Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. She had prayed for that grace for herself, that humility, to that spirit of sacrifice. And now she is quite literally interceding for another to receive that grace. And that's a holy and wonderful, pious intention, isn't it? It is, and it's kind of radical. So um, at this stage of the game, I'm going to say something that maybe not everybody will be as comfortable with, but she, she actually prays to participate in Jesus's annihilation on the cross. And that's such a scary word. The word in French is anéantissement. It it refers to the complete destruction of the victim. I think she picked up this idea from Saint-Therese of Lisieux. For Saint-Therese of Lisieux, she had an offering to merciful love. She wants to be a victim of Holocaust for merciful love. And the thing, if you, this is from Leviticus chapter 1, the thing about a sacrifice of Holocaust is the whole victim is completely consumed in the fire. There's nothing left. And so what Therese of Lisieux was writing about in her offering of Holocaust was that she wants to be com- completely offered up for the mercy of God, that that mercy might be known in the world so that there's nothing left of her, only God's mercy. For Elizabeth of the Trinity, she's uh, at this stage of her spiritual life been influenced by those prayers and that idea, as well as other preaching at the time, and she uses this word aniantisma, which, which, again, it means annihilation, and talking about this love of suffering, this love that participates in Christ's salvific work. She wants to participate in his salvific work all the way so that there's nothing left of her so that she is a perfect, complete offering to the Father in union and out of love for her bridegroom, Jesus. And this is a burning passion in her heart. She wants the seminarian to be filled with the same burning passion because she knows that if he is filled with that passion, his priesthood will come alive. Uh, in fact, what he does on the altar of sacrifice, uh, on the, uh, the Holy Mass, when he offers up the body and blood of Jesus, is this offering of Jesus who completely offered himself until there was nothing left to give, completely offered himself on the cross for our sake. If the priest desires to be united to that saving mystery that is Jesus, his ministry becomes fruitful and powerful in the life of the church. And that's what she wants for her friend, the seminarian. 
She wants him to prepare himself for a ministry that will be completely given over, that will be pure love, that will be the pure mercy of God. In order to do that, we need to love what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave himself up for us. We want, we need to be animated by the power of the Holy Spirit with the same desire to give ourselves up for Jesus for the salvation of the world. Jesus will use that kind of movement of love to transform everything and everybody in our lives. It requires on our part trust uh, that no matter what happens, the power of his love is is being worked out on us. The power of his blood is more powerful than our weaknesses. The power of his self-offering can transform our lives. If you have that confidence, then no matter what happens to you, God is going to use all of it, any of it and all of it for his glory. And this is what Elizabeth wants the seminarian to, to live by and to have. And this is what it means for her, Elizabeth when she talks about a love of suffering. It's a love of being completely in, in unity with Jesus's total offering of love for our sake. Anthony, when you speak about that being, you know, potentially for some a type of controversy, it seems as though that's exactly what we're being called is to to get ourselves out of the way and to allow God to be God in us. I, I think I'm coining a phrase actually that uh, St. John Paul has written on and has said that if we can just allow God to be God in us, but, but you have to get yourself out of the way, don't you? That's right. And so what's controversial is that there sometimes there are some people who've taken this kind of language and they they understand it in an unhealthy way. They don't understand it as an offering of love for love's sake so that God's love can be manifest through our lives. Instead, they look at this kind of suffering, love suffering for suffering's sake. And that's a problem. That doesn't, a loving suffering for suffering's sake so that I'm clinging to all my afflictions. That's a kind of weird attachment and it's very destructive and it's not helpful for your, yourself or anybody else in your life. Our orientation towards suffering needs to be, I want to offer this to God out of love. I want to offer this for my brothers and sisters out of love. And so I'm going to bear it silently for their sake. That's a little bit different than, hey, look, everybody, I'm heroically embracing this to help save the world. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of attitude where you're kind of attached to what you're doing. There's a little bit of self-pity in it. There's a little bit of sensational aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement in it. All of that is very destructive. It's also very destructive to somehow think that there's a weird satisfaction to glory and a weird satisfaction that you have that somehow this is somehow you're a better person than everybody else because of the things you're suffering. That lacks a humility. That's why Jesus's humility is the way forward for us. It's not a humility that is self-aggrandizing. It's not a humility that says, hey, look, everybody, what I'm doing for you. It's a humility that says, you don't have to suffer alone. Elizabeth is trying to get the seminarian into that place of, look, there's going to be suffering in your life. Use this suffering to find solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are steeped in a misery, feel so alienated and so alone. Because that place where they're at is where Jesus is. 
join Jesus there and be with them, be with them in their alienation so that they do not suffer alone. When you make that movement, it is annihilating. It is like everything in you is destroyed. But it's always a movement of humility. It's a movement of simplicity. It's always a movement of deep, deep love of Jesus and love of those that he's given to us. Boy, when you talk about that type of union, it sounds like communion. I mean, isn't that what a communion is at its heart? I mean, truly, truly, it's not just receiving the Blessed Sacrament, but it, it can be, if we can understand it or grasp it, it, it's so much more, isn't it? Well, and this is why um, great fathers of the church, like St. John Chrysostom, have said that if you go to Holy Communion and you're still indifferent to those who are poor, then there's something wrong with the Holy Communion you've received because there is no way that you can be in that kind of communion with Jesus and be indifferent to anyone. Um, to be in communion with the mystery of Christ Jesus is to enter into solidarity with every single human being, especially those who are in difficult plights and circumstances. You, Holy Communion with Jesus puts you in a place of not being indifferent to, to our, your neighbor because Jesus is never indifferent to our neighbor. He's never indifferent to us. He's never indifferent to the neighbor. He's entrusted to our care. When we go to Holy Communion, you know that you've received it with faith. When all of a sudden you find in your heart desires to be implicated, new resources to be concerned, the ability to forgive or seek forgiveness to overcome that kind of not only indifference, but sometimes repugnance, uh, that we have when somebody's suffering before us. This is the power of what Holy Communion can do in our life if we receive it with faith. Wow. So it, concluding, any further thoughts on this? Any final thoughts, Anthony? Well, just that this is the mystery that, that is ours. And if somebody was to say, what's a way that you can do this? Because this isn't where I'm at right now. You know, I, mm-hmm. I believe in God, but uh, this is sounding a little bit overwhelming. How can I get to this place that you're speaking of? And Elizabeth gives this beautiful little verse that is a secret about how she got there. And she's offering it to the seminarian so that he can get there with her. And she will help you get to the same place. And the the line that she says, it's from the sacred scriptures. In order to enter into the sacrifice, in order to uh, truly uh, have this as part of our love, we, we need to be mindful of the fact that he has loved me and he has given himself up for me. Père Valet once said to us that martyrdom was the response of any lofty soul to the crucified. It seems to me that this could also be said for immolation. So let us be sacrificial souls, which is to say, true to our love, He loved me. He gave himself up for me. Adieu, Monsieur l'Abbé. Let us live by love, by adoration, by self-forgetfulness, in holy, joyful, and confident peace. For we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus' gift of self for our sake, the gift itself that has freed us from sin, then 
loving what he loves becomes easier to do because we realize when what he's done for us, the, the immensity of that love is the same love that is at work on, in us. And so it's not me trying hard and gritting my teeth. It's me surrendering and trusting the love of God that's unfolding in my heart and responding to that love moment by, by moment. I can do that if I keep my heart fixed on and filled with gratitude for what Jesus did for my sake. He has loved me and he has given himself up for me. He loves each and every person who turns to him. He loves them. We could only receive that love if we can only accept the mystery of what he's done for our sake, responding to his love, uh, loving what he loves, being implicated in the plight of our neighbor, falling in love with God in this deeper way. The threshold, the doors opened up because it's his love given for our sake that opens the door of our hearts. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app located at the iTunes and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.